What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benson. And I'm Ben Boland. Ben, today's topic is one that you found, and uh, the, the title alone had me just, just uh, enthralled. I was excited about this one right away. I, I don't, I didn't know what it was initially. Right. But, uh, but you know, once I dug into it, I'm even more excited about it. Yeah, I was mystified myself, also drawn in by the title. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking about a very curious vehicle called the Puffing Devil. Yeah intriguing isn't it i mean just just the sound of that the puffing devil you might try to think like well who would be so bold as to name something the puffing devil what is that sounds like a dragster maybe or something like that but uh far from it right right far from it this is actually the world's first let me make sure i get this title right scott the world's first steam powered road locomotive passengers or something like that something like that i yeah. think along in my notes here i've got the uh, the exact description but you're very very close mm-hmm. a road locomotive which is really really interesting because we find out you know as we go through here that that road locomotives predate um locomotives that are that were on rails right yes uh what what we're talking about is a very curious vehicle that happened um you know, it wasn't the first steam engine by any means. No. We know more about uh, the history of steam engines, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about some mm-hmm. of that too. I mean, I've got it going all the way back to the very first steam engine. We won't, we won't dwell on that too right, much, right? Yeah, but we, uh, we do want to put it in context. We'll be talking more about the inventor Richard Trevithick, who was born in 1771. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, in he was in the Cornwall area, and his father was a mine administrator. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't the best kid in school, but he was pretty sharp when it came to math. And most of his learning was uh, a matter of navigating the industrial areas of Cornwall. Uh, so he was always inspired by. Steam engines, mm-hmm. which is weird because the, the deal with Cornwall mining at the time was that the mines themselves were notoriously difficult to work with because they had to keep pumping water out of these mines. 
And to do this, they used steam engines. And as a result, Cornwall became home to so many steam engines, a, a preposterous amount for the time. And uh, Richard, the young Richard Trevithick at this time, uh, grew up around these machines and was fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So he's uh, he's seeing these things every day, you know, kind of hanging out with his dad at work and and checking out what's going on. And of course, there's maintenance that goes along with all this. And you know, he's uh, he's intrigued by the inner workings of it because mm-hmm. most kids are. I mean, I think yeah. they they see something like that and they want to tear it apart and see what makes it work. And that's exactly what he was doing. I think because he's watching over the shoulder of people who were tearing them apart and mm-hmm. you know fixing them, repairing them. Because I think these things broke down an awful lot. Oh yes, sir. And the early steam engines were used. Strictly as pumps. Now, when we think of steam engines now, we think of them as smaller, more mobile devices. You know, right. that, that are able to power. I mean, we don't see them much anymore. No. I mean, to be honest, really, there are, but, a lot of them are novelty devices to show the proof of the concept. Yeah, but I mean, in museums and places like uh-huh. that, when we see them, we think of them as as being small. You know, uh, more portable, I guess. And I know they're big, but portable in the fact that uh, you know they're not the size of of the building. Right. And they're not strictly for one use only, which was pumping, because the initial steam engines, they had a singular use, and that was just pumping. That's all they did. They just pumped water out of wells, and that was it, because they were very limited in uh, in what they could do because of the motion of the thing, the size of the thing. Right. Uh, you know, exactly what they did. And, and all of this developed relatively quickly, but, I mean, when I say quickly, I mean within, like, 100, 150 years. Which is still relatively quickly. Relatively quickly. That's, <laughs> a, that's the key point here. And, um, man, I, where do you want to start with this, Ben? Because we can talk about steam. I I, I so want to get to uh, Richard Trevithick and, mm-hmm. and the Puffing Devil and, you know, all that that surrounds that. But he kind of comes later in the story, really. Yeah, you know what we should probably talk about first is just a brief background on steam engines in general. Okay, real quick. All right, uh, the first... First steam engine, the, the steam engine inventor, his name was Thomas Newcomen, and it was around 1705, I think, and he was a blacksmith and an inventor when he when he developed this uh, this idea, and it was designed really just to improve the efficiency of water pumps in mines, so there you go, that was the initial intent right. of, the, of the steam engine, and uh, it was you know basically so that the galleries could be driven or, or dug out further underground, because the deeper you go, the more they fill up with water, right. and, uh, and of course that becomes a problem, you can't have people down there working when there's... Uh, uh, this water continually flowing into the mine. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were done do, doing, rather. And um, you know, the, the idea, you know, kind of hung around for a long, long time before anybody did anything to them. Really, the guy named James Watt, who we've talked about a few times on this podcast, right? Yeah, very smart, smart guy. Very smart guy. Yeah, he uh, he had several improvements on the steam engine, but those didn't come until about. 1769. So we're talking yeah. like a, a good 64, 65 years of of them being relatively inefficient and just, uh, again, just for pumping water out of mines. And they right. re- remain that way for another 50 years. Right, yeah. The uh, Newcomen engine, as useful as it was, may sound pretty bad in modern-day standards because it had what's called a thermal efficiency of around 1%, mm-hmm. and it uh, it ate coal. It devoured coal. Yeah. This, this was a hungry machine, and... Um, one of the problems with that, of course, is that it relies on coal and not every place just has coal. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Watt, you know, when he was working at Glasgow University, he put in some changes that made this far and above a superior engine. Uh, one of the things is that it's, uh, its thermal efficiency increased to 2.7% as he was working up to 4.5%. 
And uh, a lot of this efficiency changed the potential applications of the steam engine. But that process wasn't over yet because now we have a new guy coming into the field. Well, right? you know what? I still want just for a second, yeah. if you don't mind, I want to talk about Watt for just one more minute here, sure. maybe a couple minutes. But um, the whole way that, that Watt came into contact with the Newcomen design mm-hmm. is you mentioned Glasgow University, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess he was working there. I'm not sure exactly what his, his role was oh, he there. He was uh, an instrument maker. Okay. So he's an instrument maker. It makes sense then because he had a workbench. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the uh, some of the, the stuff around there that would break down, he would, they would bring in for him to fix. You know, it was right. like he was the kind of the, the, the handy guy there, right? So one of the things that that ends up on his workbench is a is a small model of Newcomen's steam engine, the the pump, right? A very mm-hmm. small model that's used for teaching purposes. Right, yeah. And a lot of times this thing would just quit working, and <laughs> and which doesn't say a whole lot about it. But I mean, I guess you know a little model like that. There's other problems, you know, the, different from the the the, uh, the full scale models and everything. But um, one thing that he realized while he was looking at this thing was he, he realized some of these inefficiencies in this this Newcomen design, and he noticed that the, the cylinder got really really hot with steam. And then it had to be cooled off during this condensation phase where they would actually spray cold water into the cylinder right. uh, to bring the piston back down. And, um, you know, this isn't the uh, the How Steam Engines Work podcast by any means. Oh, right. But um, just giving you a, a quick thing, you know, like the steam heats it up, the piston rises up. Yeah. You have to spray cold water into it to cool it down, and that allows the piston to drop back down along with a couple of other things. There are other forces at play there, but um, that's the basic idea behind the thing. And well, he realized that, you know, if you didn't have to heat and cool this thing over and over and over again, the same cylinder, that you'd be able to get a lot more efficiency out of it. So he decided, you know, to work on a way to keep the cylinder hot at all times. Right, and using a separate water-cooled condenser. Exactly right. So two separate cylinders, and uh, and again, I've got... Boy, I went off the deep end here, but I, <laughs> I, I've got three handwritten pages here that I'm looking at of notes about you know the improvements and everything, and we're not going to go into that. Let's, okay. let's not do it. We'll okay. save it for another... You know, maybe a how steam engines work podcast. Oh, I'd be into that. Um, so I've got great notes I, for that. I also have too many notes on how steam engines and, work. And then here's what happened. He took the, uh, yeah, we both do. We've got yeah. piles of notes here. So what happened was that, you know, he developed this idea and really got the ideas it patented. I think I said around 1769. Right. So late in, late in the game, I guess, for steam, but. Um, Watt then had to find a way to finance his new project. So he works with this guy named John Roebuck, who's a, uh, a mine owner. Mm-hmm. And Roebuck takes something like two-thirds of the share of the patent of the steam engine, of his, you know, redesigned steam engine. Yeah. And then four years later, I guess, this Roebuck guy goes bankrupt, you know, because of something that happened in the mines or something like that. And he sells his two-thirds share to a guy named Matthew Bolton. Mm-hmm. And Bolton worked with Watt, and they formed a um, – they, they built – uh, the world's first factory that produced steam engines. Mm-hmm. And that was in, I think it was in Birmingham, England. Yeah. And so the company called Bolton and Watt, and you can still go and see this factory. It's still there. Yeah. Um, it, you know, obviously it's not working, but I, I don't know if it's a museum at this point or not. Um, something cool. like that. Yeah. I think you can still see it. Little side note here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the miners were very unhappy with Bolton and Watt fairly quickly. Because they were still saving a little bit of money, but they they began charging users of the engine uh, something that was about one-third of the amount they would have saved on the coal. Because the Watt engine used less coal, but you had to pay them. Well, that's like a weird tax. Yeah, it's that's kind a, of a weird tax. That's really strange. Eh? And, and uh, huh. that wasn't 
you know, that wasn't all of it because also they enforced the patent heavily. So no reverse engineering the Watt mm. engine. Uh, so people, people were not super happy about it and they kept trying to figure out how to make this just different enough to skirt around the patent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people had, I guess the reason I'm saying this is that people had a present and immediate motivation mm-hmm. to improve the steam engine quick, fast, and in a hurry. And, and Trevithick was one of them. Yeah. And, and, you know, along the way, of course, Watt is still working on an improved design. So he's still, like, doing things. And I, I tell you, just a couple, just I'll list the, the things <laughs> he's doing. Yeah. He comes up with a double acting steam engine that, that now is like, is really efficient because it's powering the piston up and powering the piston back down again. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that again in the steam engine podcast that we'll <laughs> right. in, inevitably do at some point. But, um, he also found a way to convert, and this is a big one, Ben. He found a way to convert the, the linear motion of the piston into a rotating motion. And he developed, Watt developed the, uh, the, the sun and planetary gear set that we, you know, we see in a lot of different things now. So, right. um, you know, automobiles, it was huge for automobiles, huge for locomotives, of course, which is what we're getting to. Um, and he also developed, um, an automatic speed control, like a centri- uh, centrifugal or I think they called it, um, a flyball governor mm-hmm. for the steam engine. So this uh, all kind of evened out the power. And, um, all these developments are happening. Other people are saying, I still need to get around these taxes because this, this Watt guy is, is running the game. I mean, he's got, <laughs> yeah. he's got the patent on everything and he's further developing. He's got the factory backing, you know, behind him. And he's the Walter White of steam engines. Well, and anybody that worked in the factory, because I don't think the, I don't actually don't think that he, um, he actually developed the planetary gear set. I think it was another guy. There was a, a Scottish engineer that came up with it, but he was an employee of the factory of the, uh, the, the Bolton and Watt factory. I see. And therefore, his patent fell under, um, well, he wasn't really able to patent it. I think Watt was the one who patented the design. Kind of an Edison situation. Well, that happens in a lot of big companies. And so that happened with this one. So, you know, there's this factory that's really just churning out ideas. Mm. And other people are saying, how can I get around this? I've got to do something completely different. And that was where Richard Trevithick came in because he had an, an... innovation that was uh, was going to bring it even further into the uh, in, into the future i guess yes and before we tell you the rest of the story uh, i'd like to ask you a question scott or tell you tell you a really short story i'd love to hear it. if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's go back to the show before you head out Canada way, uh, because there's a very interesting part of this story. So we've already set the stage with uh, Watt, who is, make no mistake, a prodigy. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. He is an amazing inventor, even if he isn't the most uh, people-oriented person. Uh, you know who he hated, though? <laughs> Who's that? Trevor. I bet he did because he's got, you know, here's a guy that takes his great design and just improves on it a little bit more because, you know, patents were starting to run out around, Mm -hmm. around the year 1800. Right. And, uh, so that means that, you know, we're just now breaking into the 19th century and, and, um, you know, people are really starting to be able to, uh, to improve on, on the Watt design even more because, you know, this Watt, and I, I just want one more time just mention this because this is critical. You know, that rotary movement thing, you know, like I I mentioned how. The five ball governor? Well, that and, you know, how he, Found a way to convert that linear motion into rotary motion. Oh, right, yeah. It was so huge, Ben. That was a, that was an, an amazing advancement because it could finally be used to drive other machines. Like, right, it changed the application of the engine. Yeah, you're not tied to the elements like you were before because, right. or, or your location, your physical location, because you know the, these mining pumps were strictly for mines and they're placed there and that was where they ran. Mm-hmm. Well, now you could you could have a um, a, a device that would that would have a rotary motion that you would need for grinding, but you didn't have to be near a a river that ran a grist mill. Right. You know, you, could, you didn't have to have you know wind and water wheels to do things. You know, before you did have to have that, and now you didn't because these pumps or these uh, these steam engines were strictly for pumps prior to that. Now they could be used to drive wheels, and mm-hmm. wheels were huge. And then people that got uh, I guess people's uh, mental wheels spinning hey. and decided that uh, you know. Maybe there's a way I could use this for transportation. Let me uh, let me dovetail into that here. Uh, so one of Trevithick's big big claims uh, or big uh, things that he's known for, right, his big improvements, is that he believed there should be high pressure steam mm. involved, right? Yeah, that was uh, uh, that was what we left off at, I guess, before right. he had, right? And he, yeah, and he wanted a boiler that made this pressure possible. Yeah, but. Watt was against this. I uh, just want to <laughs> just want to read this. There's yeah. a quotation. Watt was implacably opposed to this development, which he considered foolhardy and dangerous. Famously declaring that Trevor Thick should be hanged for his efforts. So nice work. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, well, I was there. I am pretty old. Uh, you took us there. Um, oh, thanks. But uh, point being, Watt was. Uh, 
what was incensed. Can you imagine saying this guy should be hanged? Oh, that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> because he developed, he, he improved on your design. That's why it's a little bit of uh, sour grapes there, I think. Little bit. So the, uh, the, this thing that he is working on, that Trevithick is working on, ultimately does become a game changer because this thing that Trevithick designs ultimately does become a much it's like a paradigm shift mm-hmm. you know it's it's so much bigger than uh maybe even what the the most optimistic people of the time thought could be well i mean this is this is i i, I can't stress this enough ben this is uh this is before the steam locomotive this is people just didn't have any other way to get around other than you know walking or uh, or horse transportation mm-hmm. or gravity you know if you're at the top of the hill you could sure you could roll down the hill that's fine but now here's a way that you can power yourself up and over the hill and that's right. brand new to everybody and to put yourself in that mindset like this has got to be incredible amazing to see something powering itself mm-hmm. forward it's moving on rails or or you know as in Trevithick's early design not even on rails. It was moving down the road, you know, the road that was intended for horses to walk on. Right. Just cast yourself back there if you can and imagine seeing a horseless carriage for the first time. Your first question is, uh, where the hell is the horse? And then how did they fit it in there? Yeah. Are they burning that horse for energy? <laughs> um, so, okay. So this boiler, this is really what it all comes back to, uh, that this boiler is able to withstand the pressure of all this steam. So Trevithick uh, designs this boiler for its strength, and because he doesn't have a flat base, he puts the fire and the flue inside of the boiler uh, using a U-shaped fire tube. So this maximizes surface area and... uh, well, you know what? I what? got I got a little something to add to that. If you got one second, yeah, let me just break out here for just for a yeah, second because yeah, yeah. I found a, a BBC little short on uh, on high pressure steam innovation mm-hmm. and Trevithick's designs here. And you're t- you just talked about both of them right in one sentence, and that's why I figured I'd just stop right here. Oh yeah, because, yeah um, the, the two things. Now you can look this up. It's BBC, the genius of invention. You know, Trevithick's innovation, something like that. Uh, the two thing, two big things that really led to his success were the fire tube that you mentioned is mm-hmm. U-shape. Uh, now, in the demonstration that I saw, the guy had a um, a kettle, uh, a tea kettle, yeah, and had one regular tea kettle and one that had this uh, had a fire tube through it. It was just a metal tube goes right through the middle of it, all the way down to the fire. You could look right through it. Uh, the idea is that there's more surface area that's being heated, and it yeah. has greater contact with the water surrounding it, and uh, and therefore it boils faster. So he had a very efficient boiler system in that way. And the other thing is the uh, cylindrical boiler design. Yep. Now, you know, in a in a train. We see the uh, the boiler at the at the on the top of the train. I guess it's laying uh, horizontally, right? And yeah. that giant tube like thing on a on a steam locomotive mm-hmm. is the boiler, and the piston is way down by the wheels. It's a small little thing down at the very front of the train that you wouldn't even expect. I, I mean, you kind of think of the cylinder now when we think of engines. That's where the piston is, right? Right. Yeah. You think there's a giant piston in there that's driving the wheels, but that's not the case. That's all water and and fire. And, yeah. uh, and and it's loaded with tubes. These tubes that carry, um, you know, well, carry heat, and yeah. they also carry the uh, the the boiled water. I mean, the steam. You know what? We won't get into exactly what they do, but it's okay. loaded with tubes. <laughs> and um, the cylindrical boiler design was big because the watt design boiler was square, mm-hmm. and the square design. If you if you put a lot of pressure into a square, um, you know, welded together uh, box, I guess. 
uh, the, the side, sides are going to bulge. Right. The, uh, the seams are all going to pop open. But in a cylinder, the, you can put an immense amount of pressure inside there and it will hold. And, and that's exactly what, uh, Trevithick was, was, you know, playing on this idea that he could go with the high pressure steam. Watt's design couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, the invention of this boiler did more than just eclipse Watt's square design. It, uh, it even did away with the condenser. Mm-hmm. So without this condenser, right, uh, the stuff from Trevithick's engine, the the uh, stuff they're expelling is puffing out directly into the atmosphere, sure. which gives it this name, uh, the puffing devil. Yeah, it was either coal, which was burning, or wood. Right. I'm not sure which it was. It was mm-hmm. likely coal, if I had to guess, and uh, and also some steam. There's a little bit of steam that that's uh, let off there as well. So yeah, it gives it this uh, this appearance, but. People, when they see something like this coming, they must have thought the world was ending, Ben. I mean, when they right. see something like that, it's like this, uh, this, um, I don't know, it's almost like a, like a, like a monster yeah, that's coming well, down the road. Oh, well, one, one thing, let's be clear. When he first built his Trevithick engines, uh, he was putting them still in mining operations, right? Sure. Yeah. And they had fantastic, uh, pound per square inch. We're talking the, on the order of 25, which sounds so unimpressive today. But let us consider, you know, the other things were around like seven or 14, you know. Yeah. Well, these are, these are pieces of metal that are hammered out by hand by a blacksmith on an anvil and, you right. know, they're, they're bolted together and, you know, they're just not, they're not sealed up the way that we see them now and, you know, from modern factories. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so his first one was installed at a place called Cook's Kitchen Mine in 1800. And in 1870, it was still running. Scott, the, this engine was so powerful that Trevithick is looking at it one day and just, you know, watching this monster, uh, puff smoke and pour steam and, and, and eat through the ground in a mine. And he says, man, that thing is strong. That, that thing is, probably powerful enough to and then it hits him maybe it can propel itself well he probably saw the rotary motion of a of a drive wheel or something like that right and, and realized like okay well, i'm i'm looking at this uh, horse wagon going by and here's the drive wheel wait a second i'm putting these two and two together why do we even need that horse out front right so i'm sure that that's kind of the way it probably went you know it's just uh who knows? Maybe he got into the ale one evening and he's, uh, he's laying around, you know, kind of dreaming, daydreaming, thinking right, about what yeah. would be really cool. And uh, I don't know. This is all we're just guessing. Right. We've but been there. It's like <laughs> that's right. And a moment like that this weekend. So anyway, so he's probably thinking, like, oh, how can I make this work? And he just kind of, you know, cobbled together something. Really, I mean, more than more than that. I mean, but it, it's a it's a big, impressive machine, obviously. But, right. um, you know, to be able to think like that, to, I'm going to put one of these steam engines on on top of a wagon, really, at that point, but with, with steel wheels, and uh, we're going to try to make this thing drive, and we're going to drive it through the town. Right. Uh, it's going to require several operators, you know, because someone's got to steer, someone's got to stoke the flames, yeah. someone's got to be in charge of the uh, the bypass valve just in case too much pressure builds uh-huh. up, and gotta you know, there's got to be at the switch. a few different people. So, you know, he finally gets all this together, and it's somewhere around uh, December of night, or I'm sorry, December of 1801. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's I I've seen it described as by Christmas Eve, so Christmas the time Eve? leading up to Christmas. Yeah, and they've been working on it since November of eighteen hundred. Uh, so on Christmas Eve, they start running the Puffing Devil. But here's the thing: they improve. He improves it the entire year he's working on it. Uh, 
the boiler by this time, by the first run, is doing 47 pounds per square inch. Not bad, not bad. So he's got a lot of pressure going in this thing. And, um, you know, the, the first drive, I guess, or the first demonstration was December 24th, so Christmas Eve in 1801, as we mentioned. It's the first demonstration of transportation powered by steam. That's, that's super impressive. Ben. As a, as a practical method of transportation. Yeah, I there guess. There were failed experiments before. Yeah, and we've talked about one of these guys, yeah. right? The, uh, the Nicholas Joseph, uh, Cugnot? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuno, maybe? Cuno. And, uh, I think that around 1770, there was a steam-powered wagon. Now, I don't know if it was really the same type of thing because, um, this one that we're talking about, Trevithick's design was steerable. And I don't think the other one was steerable. I no, think it that just it was, went. It right? just went, and it, in fact, it went through a wall, I believe, <laughs> right, right? Yeah. So that was no good. And I think it destroyed itself on his first outing. But this one, uh, I believe he, I don't think he made it up to the top of the hill. He's trying to go up a hill called Camborne Hill, I believe. Yeah. And Camborne Hill, which is, by the way, a folk song now, you know, <laughs> based on based on this initial trip. Um, I don't think he made it up the hill on the first attempt. I think that's what happened, right? So he didn't make it up, but he and the guys that he was with, I think there were like seven or eight guys on this thing. Yeah, you know, they, as many as eight. Yeah, probably having a big Christmas Eve party. They could have got up the hill. Yeah, probably could have, yeah. Maybe if they had lost a few passengers right, along the right. way, right? But um had to turn around and come back home. And then I think it only lasted, <laughs> this thing, this uh, this this original uh puffing devil mm-hmm. only lasted a few days, right? Because yeah. uh, there was an incident. They uh, they had pulled into, I think it was, I want to say it's an inn. I don't have the details right in front of me, Ben, but right. I, I remember the story that they pulled into an inn, I think, and they were going to have, uh, you know, have a couple drinks, I think. And they left it out in a barn. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So they, uh, they had, they had some disasters. It didn't last too much past, uh, December. Um, I had heard that one of their, they had three journeys, I think, on it. Three, that's it. I think it's just maybe three. that was what I was thinking of the three. I don't know if it lasted three days. Maybe it was a little longer than that, but three journeys. So they uh, one day, Trevithick and one of his buddies go out and they're trying to visit a place called Tahiti House. T e h i d y. It's about four kilometers away. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevithick's tending the engine. Vivian is steering. Uh, they hit a gully in the road. Steering handle wrenches from Vivian's hands, and the devil overturns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so passerbys and other people uh, helped push this back, right? Mm-hmm. Push sure. this back to its right way. Yeah, because he's in a gully, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so they say, okay, this thing is messed up. Uh, you know, let's just call, declare victory for the day because the engine broke down. So they go to the hotel and they... They have a couple beers. Yeah, public house, I think, is what they call yeah, it. Public yeah, public house. You mm-hmm. know, uh, drown drown your anger in some fit, uh, some pints of <laughs> ale. And uh, it turns out that either a fire was still burning in the puffing devil's furnace, or the water evaporated, but the metal parts became red hot, and then that combined with a wooden wagon. Right, and it, a barn that was probably parked in. Right, made everything. Burn. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing burned to the ground. And of course, there's nothing left. You can't really salvage something like that. I mean, I, I don't know if he ever even really attempted to rebuild the Puffing Devil himself, uh, because he was really he was really working on the idea behind steam locomotives, and he wanted to get this thing on rails because right. for I believe Ben, I think it was something like I want to say like 200 years prior to this, horses had been pulling wagons on wheels on rails. 
Yeah. And, you know, so there's this like real primitive railway system, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't steam powered. And I mean, really for a long, long time, they were pulling things on rails because they knew it was an efficient way to do it. Yeah. It's just they didn't have the, uh, the mobile power to be able to handle something like that or to do it. And that's exactly why Trevithick's design, you know, this, uh, this high, high pressure, um, you know, relatively small design, uh, steam engine, was able to be used for for this application and it fit perfectly and that's exactly what he did because he designed now Trevithick is is credited with building the first full scale working railway system locomotive ever and it was in uh, it was in the UK it was it was demonstrated in Wales I believe the first time right and um the first journey ever was something in I think it was in February of 1804 in right. late February of 1804 so that's 3 years after uh, two and a half years after the uh, the Puffing Devil debuted, mm-hmm. so yeah, this is a this is a huge advancement. Yeah, he's a mover and a shaker. Uh, I do also want to point out that the finished engine for the Puffing Devil weighed about one and a half tons. Whoa! Because you know, think of the kind of materials they were working with. They weren't working with aluminum no. or something. You There's know. no carbon fiber. There's no carbon fiber. No, uh, not at absolutely. that point. It was another five or six years before carbon fiber was developed. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, 
we've got a little bit of a downturn in the episode, though, because uh, you're going to let that go. The five or six years coming. I'm going to let it go. Okay. Well, what about like aircraft aluminum, something like that? Uh, you know what? The 1801, Ben. There had to have been aircraft aluminum somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, not being an aircraft historian, I might have to defer to your wild guess. Nanotechnology, things like that. that was oh, all, well, nanotech, clearly. It was, it was all big in 1801, I'm sure. Yeah. Nanotechnology actually um, is closely related to steam engine. Yeah. I mean, we're just now hearing about it, but uh, it's been around for a good 250 years. Yep. Ford just didn't want you to know. We are totally kidding, by the way, before anybody uh, finishes <laughs> writing that email. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, it is true that although Trevithick was um, an astounding, astonishing inventor and an innovator, he did not fully reap the success or the rewards of his success, right? Yeah, because he uh, he met an early end, I guess. He not real early, I guess, for the time. He was about sixty two years old when he when he passed away. Right. He but was th- twenty nine when he built the puffing devil just for Okay, twenty nine. That's not comparison. Yeah, sure. So he was relatively young when he built this thing. Uh but he only lived until eighteen thirty three. Now that's age sixty two, which is uh, it's a relatively decent life at that at that time in our history. But yeah, I mean to not be able to to See this thing all the way to the end, you know, because, um, you know, some of these uh, innovations, like, I think that there was another, um, uh, groundbreaking locomotive that was, uh, put on display in something like 1826 or something right. like that. It was called the Rocket. Yeah. And that's the one that, uh, most people think of as being like the, the most, because I think it won some kind of speed and endurance test at the time. Right. By, uh, Robert Stevenson. Yeah. That's the one, Ben. And, you know, prior to that with Trevithick's design, uh, I think it was, you know, more of a, a simple thing. It was, it was right. pulling smaller loads and it was, um, you know, just maybe making routes to and from the mine, you know, back and forth, just carrying coal and, you know, whatever the, the supplies were necessary. It wasn't so much that, you know, this is a viable transportation for humans, really, you know, to carry <laughs> right. them across continents or anything until after um, after the rocket design. Now, Trevithick did continue working on boiler designs mm-hmm. up to... Uh, his very last days, uh, he was at the J&E Hall Limited Company uh, and designing, I think he got up to a 150-pound-per-square-inch boiler. Um, when he passed away in 1833, uh, he left a legacy that some people would would be tempted to dismiss or say it was forgotten. But you guys know car stuff. We do not end on a down note because... We have some good news for anyone who's interested in seeing the Puffing Devil live and in action, yes. which sounds crazy, right? No cameras around back then. It was burned down, right? I mean, yeah, it was the gone. Thing, the thing burned to the ground. So how could they possibly have a uh, have a working Puffing Devil? Well, somebody has uh, has gone to the effort of building a replica of the of the puffing devil and this thing actually operates on the city streets of Camborne uh, at least once a, once a year as we'll talk about in a second but um right. this this replica project i think it took about uh, was about 2 or 3 years to build right or no one one and a half years to build total so it took just about as long as it did to build the original <laughs> uh because you know there were no working uh drawings of this thing you know there's no um you know engineering graphs to follow or anything like that i mean the guy probably just you know as I said, he just cobbled together in a in a shed somewhere. Right. Um, so the people that built it, you know, they were going basing it on uh, you know drawings, you know, that I mean, just 
not not uh, not engineering drawings, but just drawings that people have done of the event or like of the eyewitness accounts. Exactly, that's right, and descriptions of what happened. And, and they knew what you know Trevithick's steam engine designs look like because they still had those. Right. Uh, but the matter, the difficult matter, was just putting it onto a uh, a wagon and making it work and making yeah. it look like the original. And they did this for the uh, the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of the initial running of the Puffing Devils. So in 2001, they ran this because of, you know, the uh, the 1801 initial journey. Right, yeah. And uh, here's the cool thing. To me, it's one of the coolest things about the Puffing Devil. You can go on YouTube right now and watch people take this thing out and ride it. And I'm going to go ahead and let you know, guys, it looks very strange. Yeah, it does. And there aren't really seats. <laughs> and you'll see it on the uh, in something called the Camborne Trevithick Day Parade. And mm-hmm. Trevithick, just in case you're wondering, it's T-R-E-V-I-T-H-I-C-K. So do a keyword search for that, and you'll likely find it. But there's a there's an, um, a site called trevithickday.org.uk, which you can go to, which uh, talks all about this uh, annual Trevithick Day that they hold that they held. Um, I say held because this year's event or celebration has already happened. It happened in late April of 2014. Uh-huh. And it's basically, it's an annual celebration of the heritage and mining heritage of the area with a focus on Richard Trevithick and, um, because he's the, you know, I guess the, the pioneer really yeah. of high pressure steam power. And this is huge. I mean, it was such a turning point and, and such a, a, a great development and such an advancement. That, uh, you know, I mean, I think that this guy definitely deserves a parade, definitely deserves a day named after him. And, of course, they're very proud of him. Would you call the Puffing Devil a car, though? Oh, no, I would not. Well, well, no, it's you a, call it a road locomotive? It's a, a, well, I call it a road locomotive only because that's a new term to me. And I, yeah, I've heard it. I, think it's, I think it's cool. But yeah. to me, it's a, a steam-powered wagon, I guess. I'm almost like... Um, Kugno's, uh, yeah, the steam car wagon. With the difference that this one is, uh, controllable. You know, that this yeah. is nice. I like Steerable it. Steerable wagon. Yeah. Something that, you know, you can take out and with reasonable amount of uh, certainty that you're going to be able to bring it back home as well. <laughs> reasonable. Don't, don't stop to drink. Well, yeah. That's right. Don't, uh, leave the fire going. Yeah. Oh, for Pete's sake. Um, so this, I think, is the end of our story about the man known as the Cornish Giant. Yeah, and there's uh, so much more. There's so much more, and it's a fascinating journey, I think, because you and I, um, and a lot of you guys listening out there, too, ha- are always interested in the the history of the automobile, you know, what's this amazing thing that is across the world um for, for something as well-known as automotive technology, it's surprising how many unknown and obscure stories there are about it. Mm-hmm. we got to do that steam engine episode. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that this is this is just like maybe the – I don't even want to say the first step, but this is just another step in, in the progress towards or the progression towards mm-hmm. – uh, the automobile that we think about, you know, when, when sure. uh, we, we think about the automobiles starting in 1890s or whatever, but, right. um, this is, this goes back to the late 1700s, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's, you know, there's information about stuff that leads up to this prior to that, you know, another hundred years prior to that. So it goes way, way, way back a lot farther than you might think. That is an excellent point. And Scott, I hope people enjoyed this episode. Uh, you got, you have to go to YouTube and check it out. This is, this is one of those, Ben, and you're right. Exactly. You're exactly right. You have to see the puffing devil in action to understand why it's called the puffing devil. And, and it's just an amazing piece of machinery to begin Mm -hmm. with. But 
I, I this is one of those episodes where, and we've talked for about 45 minutes now or something close to that. <laughs> there is so much more to the story, and just the Steam story alone is huge. I mean, I wish we could go into details. i got so many notes, and you do too. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll have to do it sometime in the near future. I think we have to do a Steam episode, buddy. Probably um, do. But before we do that, there's one last thing for today's episode, and that is listener mail. Let's hear it. Okay, Scott, this comes to us via Facebook from our listener, Lindsay G. Lindsay says, hi, guys. I just finished uh, listening to your podcast about carbs versus fuel injection, and I loved it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you guys also talked about car pranks for listener mail. Well, a couple of summers ago, I worked part-time for my school district and worked mostly with the maintenance and ground staff. We had a couple work trucks that we would use, and if I didn't keep an eye on my truck, occasionally the guys would go into my truck, turn the radio all the way up, wipers full speed, vents on full heat blast, harmless stuff like that. We also ha- found a Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo figurine that would we would try to play some weird places, such as buckling into it, him into a truck seat, sitting him on a tailgate, etc. Basically, it was a summer spent pranking the guys back and forth. Oh, and the last part, I gotta say, Lindsay points out that, that made me laugh. Somebody was in the porta potty at their job site, and someone else took the work truck and parked it just right up next to the door so oh, you were trapped in a porta potty that's bad news any kind of porta potty prank is bad news yeah i'll be honest with you i really try to avoid even going into a porta potty yeah. just the the cost benefit there the risk man just for fear of what may happen who knows yeah among other things right. now the <laughs> the thing is that 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 email though that's that's funny because i mean that sounds like a great summer like just a, yeah. a summer spent you know with work trucks and you know, working on the grounds, the groundskeeper stuff, and and uh, all the harmless pranks and all that. That's just sounds like a good, memorable summer. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I always want to hear about people's prank stories. Harmless pranks. We gotta, we have to do more harmless pranks around the office here. <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, did you see somebody took that out of order sign off the microwave and replaced it with reserved for private event? I did not see that, but uh, you know what? That would be maybe a step up in size from our current conference room. Hey, you know what? <laughs> you might not be wrong. It gets, a, it gets a little crowded in there, doesn't it? It gets a little crowded. Yeah. Um, I think it would be easier if we are all standing. <laughs> Maybe. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for the email. We appreciate it. And, uh, again, that's uh, that's funny. I always love to hear about listeners with uh, with these harmless pranks. Anything that harmed anybody? Yeah. Uh, send that in, too. We just may not read it on the air. Right. You can find us at Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can listen to every single podcast we have ever made on our fantastic website, carstuffshow.com. And you can send us an email directly. We are carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. 
Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.